0: The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit MidtownColumbia.com partner give a big uh, welcome to uh, all of our visitors and guests. I see we have a a lot of new people in here with us. If you are new, especially if this is your first time, we hope we're able to get you one of our bulletins uh, today, and hopefully we would love for you to fill out the bottom of that uh, and drop it in the offering baskets when they come around at the end. We just call that part uh, our sign and drop. I'm Ant Pastor here. If you're new again, just want to extend a special welcome to you, let you know we are glad, very glad that you uh, are here with us. If you've been rolling with us through the series, you know that we have uh, been using an app, uh, just a personal liturgy app. Uh, that's also what the, the series is entitled. Um, and we, we use that app to try to uh, encourage us and push us to uh, engage very consistently in different practices that are very beneficial for us spiritually, that are conducive to us thriving and growing uh, and prospering spiritually. So if you're just jumping in with us, we would love, you can go to the, uh, to the to iTunes store. You can also uh, download it in the, at the Google Play Store. Um, and again, the app is called Personal Liturgy. As of right now, in the part of the series that we're in, Uh, The the focus of the app is to try to fight the spiritual cynicism, which I'll I'll define in in a second. Uh, We want to consistently be meditating on the words of God as a way of pursuing our own and cultivating our own spiritual health. I'm real always challenged and convicted by the words that Jesus says when he says that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That every word, every thought, every command, every encouragement, every prophecy, every truth in the Bible that God gives us, that is our bread, that is our food, and that is what we live on as believers and as Christians. Every single word. That makes it imperative that we as believers are meditating on God's word each and every day of our lives. Amen, church. So we want to, we want to, I want to encourage you, if, again, if you've fallen off the wagon with the app, if you've been with us the whole time, I want to encourage you to pick that back up. It's going to give us some, some prompts um, just to, to kind of structure our time of meditating in the Word and kind of grow us as a church together as we're all meditating on God's Word in the same way. And again, if you're new, uh, we would love for you to uh, grab that or download the app as well and jump in with us uh, at the same time. I mentioned a little earlier uh, that the, the spiritual enemy in this part of our series called Personal Liturgy that we're fighting against uh, is one that we're calling Spiritual Cynicism. Spiritual cynicism. It's a posture of skepticism that leads you to doubt God's presence and activity in your life. A posture of skepticism that leads you to doubt God's presence and activity. In your life. We talked last week, we looked at uh, Thomas, who many people call Doubting Thomas, because as we uh, got into last week, he said, I will never believe until I'm able to put my, my hands into the holes in his hands and into the hole in his side. He, he was skeptical about whether or not Jesus actually raised from the dead, even though Jesus had already told him he was going to come back to life after he died, even though his other disciples were telling him, No, we've seen the risen Christ. Thomas says, Until I put my hands in the holes in his hands, I will never believe. That's what we talked about how we're a lot more like Thomas than we often want to admit or we often want to believe uh, about ourselves. That we have these doubts about God's presence, about the reality of God's presence, about His activity, that, that He's working in us, that He's working through us all the time. Today we're going to be in John chapter 13. And we're going to bounce from John chapter 13, kind of in the next few chapters between John 13 and John 16. We're not going to try to cover everything. Jesus makes a lot of great points. We want to encourage you to go and read that in your own time. We're going to be pulling one very specific theme uh, out of these, uh, these four chapters uh, right here. Just to give you a little bit of um, um, context for these chapters that we're going to be in, this is the last day... Um, of Jesus' life before he is crucified. Actually, the last evening and the last night in these, in these chapters in John 13 through 16. So obviously the words he's going to be leaving with his disciples are very important, very dear to his heart. And, and I would even go as far as to say the things that he expects uh, to, to strengthen them and give them the ability to continue on after he's gone. Uh, I know for myself, and I don't know if this is the same uh, or, or if you feel the same uh, way about the same types of things. I know for myself, uh, w- with my job as pastor, I, I often feel uh, extremely inadequate to do what God has called me to do. I often feel, Sometimes I feel this level of, of anxiety, whether I'm just meeting someone for, for counseling, whether I'm preparing a sermon, whatever it might be. I often feel this, this, this inadequate, this, this, this like I'm not, I'm not good enough or, or powerful enough. I-, I don't have enough in me to do exactly what God is calling me to do. As believers, I don't know if you've, ever, if you've ever been there. I feel that way as a, as a pastor. I feel that way as a parent oftentimes. I feel like I, I mean, I even notice like when I'm coming home from work, like on the way home, like before I even go into the door, I'm like, okay, my, my kids, they're going to need my love. They're going to need my support. They're going to need my discipline. They're, they're going to need me to be firm. They're going to need me to be honest. They're going to need me to be gentle and loving. And it's like this is this is so much. I feel like I'm at the end of myself. And sometimes there's even this, this lonely feeling that we have Uh, as we sense the different inadequacies that we have to do what God has has called us to do. I don't know what that looks like for you. What I do know is, we'll start in John chapter 13, verse 1, is that what Jesus offers us here in this passage and what he tells us about is our strength. It is where where we find the, the ability to actually live out whatever it is that God has called us to, whatever our lot in life is. John chapter 13, starting at verse 1, Now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So I want to bring out two specific things about this statement that Jesus makes. The first one is Jesus was, was painfully aware that it was time for him to die and leave the earth, right? So he's telling his disciples at the Passover meal. This is the last night he has with them. The the soldiers are about to come, and they're about to uh, basically uh, abduct him and take him away to this unfair trial that he's going to suffer under and that it will ultimately lead to his death. He's aware of this. This is a very difficult time for him. And we also see in verse 1 how deeply he loves his disciples, He knew that his hour had come. It was time for him to depart. But at the same time, he loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. This was a deep love he has for them. So he's in a a difficult spot right now. And as he's going to reveal to them, they're they're in a very difficult time and place right now as well. That Jesus loves them, cares about them, but he's going to have to leave them because he knows what's going to happen to them. The drama continues to unfold. The, the, The emotional difficulty continues to unfold as Jesus begins to explain more to his disciples. We'll jump down to verse 33. Again, we'll be jumping um, verses quite a bit today as we try to cover a lot of ground and hit on this theme that Jesus is uh, communicating to his disciples. Verse 33, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. He starts this off by referring to them as little children, right? This, this might come across to you if you're, if you're grown and somebody calls you a little child. It might come across as condescending to you. But this is, this is a, a term of endearment that Jesus is saying. He, he, he has cared for them in a very fatherly-like way. This is, he, he's endearing himself to them. He's expressing his love and his care for them. And he says, I'm, I'm, I'm going somewhere and you're not going to be able to come with me he has been with them probably for almost every day for the last three years, walking with them, teaching them, instructing them, correcting them, encouraging them, preparing them in some ways for this very moment when he has to leave them. I find it interesting what he says, love one another. He basically says, love one another the way that I have loved you. You got you to gotta understand Jesus is, Jesus is leaving them. He's not going to be there with them. He has loved them in a way that's very forgiving, that's very patient, very kind, very honest with them. And now he's saying, I'm not going to be here with you, so I need you all to love each other the way that I loved you. I loved you. I care for you. I make sure you're good. Now it's, it's up to you guys. I'm, I'm going out of here. You got to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Verse 34, again, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. See, before this time, it would have been easy to know who the disciples of Jesus were. He was walking with them every day. They were always around him. Everybody would have known who his disciples were, but now he's saying, I'm leaving. I'm not going to be here anymore, so you need to love each other and spread the love that I have shown to you, the same love that I have loved you with, love each other, and then people will be able to look in on that and see that and know, oh, these are the followers of Jesus by the way that they love one another. He's preparing them for his departure. He says, everyone's going to know that you are mine by the way that you love one another. He's he's equipping them to continue on without him. So we find instruction in these words as well. Verse 36, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus says, where I'm going, you can't go. Peter has this immediate pushback. Why, Why can't we go with you? Why can't we go where you are going? See, Jesus had had, had revealed to him that he he is the Messiah. He's going to bring in the kingdom of God. So they're expecting him to do that at any moment now. They're they're waiting on him to do that. Now he's saying, hey, I'm going somewhere and you can't come with me. They're they're, they're confused. I can imagine the the anxiety, the turmoil in them that they are feeling. Peter says, Lord, why can I not follow you? I will lay down my life for you. "I, I, I love you. I will give my very life for you. What do you mean I can't come with you? Wherever you're going. Jump down a little bit, John chapter 13, verse 1. Jesus sensing this, this trouble that's in their heart. He says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus picking up on the disciples that his anxiety, I mean, sorry, the, the anxiety that his disciples are feeling. He knows how troubled they are, and he tells them, No, tr- trust me. Believe in me, believe in the Father, trust, trust that, that I still love you, that my, my care, my love will remain with you. We're still looking out for you. We still, we still got this, okay? Believe in me, believe in the Father, trust in us. Then a little later in chapter 14, he gives them reason to take comfort. Check out verse 18, John 14:18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I. In you. Now at the beginning when he says, i won't leave you as orphans, I, I will come to you, and because I live, you will live. I actually believe he's referring to after he's resurrected from the grave, he, re- he reveals himself to the disciples again. He's letting them know, like, I'm not, I'm not, tr- I'm not abandoning you here. Like, I'm, I'm going to come back to you. You will see me alive again. He's comforting them with his, with his, his presence, letting them know, hey, we're not, I'm not abandoning you here. This is caring love that he's extending to his disciples. Then we jump back a little bit to get the context where he says that in verse 16. In John 14, 16, and 17, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. He said, I'm leaving. I'm going to talk to the Father. I'm going to ask him to send the helper Another helper, he says. So he, he's, he's letting them know this is someone who's going to help you as I have helped you. He's also going to be a helper to you. And the Greek word there for, for helper, I'm not great at Greek, is perikletos, as I understand it, or Parakletos. It literally means to be, to be called in aid. The word para means to be alongside someone, and the word uh, kletos, if you would, means means to call. I mean, it's it's a calling. He's the one who was called to be with us, to be alongside us, this spirit of truth, as Jesus calls him. This term is like, think opposite of the word parasite. So the English transliteration will be paraclete, where a parasite is something that is, that is with you, that is stuck with you, that actually takes life from you so that it can have life. This, this paraclete, if you will, the Holy Spirit is, is stuck with you to give you life so that you might have life. This helper, aka the spirit of truth, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, for my King James Christians, the Holy Ghost, if you would, dwells with you Dwells with us, dwells in us. This is how Jesus encourages his disciples. They're about to go through an incredibly difficult trying time with his death. They're going to watch their leader, their friend, someone who was like a brother to them, Get abducted in the middle of the night by this angry mob of soldiers. This is, this is completely illegal, but the establishment's not going to do anything about it because they got the establishment kind of in their pocket, so to speak. The, the, the establishment is going to do exactly what they say. So they come in, they kidnap Jesus, they take him to this unfair trial in the middle of the night. This is just about as shady as it can possibly be, where they convict him of something that he has not, when he has not done anything wrong. This is happening to their friend, and there is nothing that they can do about it to stop it. They see this happening. They're afraid. They're terrified for their lives. They don't know what's going to happen to Jesus. They don't know what's going to happen to them. Jesus is preparing them for that moment, preparing them for what they're going to be going through by telling them that the Holy Spirit is coming. Jesus is about to be tortured, shamed, and crucified publicly. So it has been an incredible, difficult time, and he's telling them about this companion who is going to come. He's trying to fortify them and strengthen them with the one that is to come. This paraclete, this Holy Spirit, this one who was, who was called to be an aid to us, to be with us forever, as Jesus says. This is incredible news for anybody who has ever felt unable to appropriately deal with whatever it is that you're going through in life. This is incredibly, incredibly good news. This is what I need, and this is what i depend on as I'm I'm driving home and I realize I'm just, man, I'm just so exhausted from work. I feel like I have nothing left to give anyone. It's when the Holy Spirit often reminds me right there. It's like, hey, I'm with you. You're not doing this by yourself. You're not doing this in your own strength. You're you're called to be a godly husband, a godly leader in your home, a godly father. You're, You're not doing this by yourself. Why do you feel like you're so alone in this? For the Christian, objectively speaking, we are never actually fully, truly alone because of the Holy Spirit whom Jesus prayed to the Father that he would send to us. He dwells with us. He dwells in us, just as he does with the disciples. John 14, 25 through 26. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the help of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He will teach us largely through the word of God, which he inspires. He, he will teach us what we need to know. And he will bring the word of God back to our remembrance. As we are, spend our lives meditating on the word of God, he will bring the, the, the scriptures, the, the word of God back to our remembrance. I don't know how many times in your life you've, you've experienced it, whatever you're, you're dealing with at the moment and the Holy Spirit just right there reminds you of Scripture, reminds you of his word that encourages you, that corrects you, that gives you guidance, that gives you strength in the times when you need strength. Jesus says that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings the word of God back to our remembrance. Flip down a little bit, John chapter 16, verses 6 through 7. His disciples obviously are still very sad about this. He told them the Holy Spirit is coming, but at the same time, their their leader, their friend, the one that they trusted in so much is leaving them, so they have this this sadness. Look how Jesus describes it in John 16, 6 through 7. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus said the disciples weren't just sad. Their hearts were full, were full with sorrow. Can only imagine, Jesus, you're not going to be with us anymore. You're, you're, you're leaving us. Why? When are you leaving us? How are you going to leave us? How are you going to do this to us? And Jesus says something, that he, and he's trying to completely shift their whole perspective that I hope shifts a lot of our perspective on the Holy Spirit as well. Verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go I will send him to you. An advantage is a condition or circumstance that puts someone in a favorable or superior position. It's it's something that that makes you better off than you were beforehand when you have an advantage. Jesus said, It is to your advantage that I go away because if I don't go away, then the Holy Spirit is not going to be able to come and dwell with you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He says, He needs to leave so the Holy Spirit can come because that would be so much better. For them, he said, these are unbelievable words to me. This is, this is God in the flesh talking, right? God who, who walked among people, who, who, who healed people, who cleansed the leper, who, who raised the dead. He's saying, I, it is actually better for you that I leave because of the Holy Spirit that I am going to send to you, he says. Jesus says, the Holy Spirit in us is better than him in the flesh beside us. This is Jesus, this is the greatest man who ever. this is, Time Magazine says he is the most significant person to ever walk on the earth, and he is saying, he's, Time Magazine says he's the most significant and most influential person to ever walk on the planet, and he said, it's actually better that I go. It's actually better that I leave, because the one I'm going to send that's going to be with you, it will be to your advantage if you have him instead of having me. May we not underestimate the good that is having the gift of the Holy Spirit in and through us. I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like the disciples had it better. You know what I mean? Sometimes I feel like, man, like they, they saw him walking. like They saw the miracles that, 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 that he, where he healed people, where he raised the dead, where, where people who were no longer able to walk, they, they found strength in their legs. Maybe for the first time that, that the blind were able to see, that the deaf were able to hear. Jesus says it's actually better for the Holy Spirit to be with you. Sometimes I think I believe my faith would be stronger if I, you know, if I would have been there when I saw him, when people saw him. Sometimes I feel like, man, that, that would make things so much better. Maybe I'd be more bold in my proclamation of the gospel if I saw Jesus right here with me. Jesus says it's your advantage that I leave. Because if I stay, then the Holy Spirit cannot come. And God's sending of the Holy Spirit to dwell with us and in us, it's it's not just about, it's not just all about the the strength and the comfort that we find in it, though that is extremely important. I, I mean I would go as far as to say, if you don't, if you don't find in your life, during difficult times, during good times, a comfort from the fact that God Himself dwells with you and in you, then you have no concept of who the Holy Spirit is. You, you have no understanding of who he is and what he actually comes to do. If you don't find a periodically in your life that you just find a comfort that God himself lives in me as a believer, Then you don't know who the Holy Spirit is and what, he, what he's actually about, and that's, that's extremely important that we can find that comfort and strength in him. But also, I don't think he just sends the Holy Spirit to us because he knows we need it. I believe he sends the Holy Spirit to us because he loves to dwell with his people that the God of the Bible loves to dwell with his people, that he finds joy in dwelling with his people in being with us in making his home with us. He enjoys it. We see this from cover to cover in the Bible. In Genesis, specifically in chapter 3, we see Adam and Eve. It says that Adam and Eve actually heard the sound of God walking in the garden that they, they, they heard God moving amongst them and around them. This, this is an unbelievable experience of the presence of God, right? And they, they even got to experience that This was after they sinned against God. So they rebelled against God, ate the fruit that he had told them not to eat as he's looking for them, continuing to pursue him with his presence. They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, the Bible says. He talked to them about their sin. He lets them know what the consequences are going to be. And because sin makes us unclean, they had to leave the garden. They never experienced God's presence in the same way after they sinned, after they turned against God, after they rebelled against him and, and decided it was better for them to live independently of his rule in their lives. This sin had now marred them. And thus they, they, they did not deserve to be in the presence of God. So they were now unclean. Later in the Old Testament, even though God's people sinned over and over again, God continues to pursue his people with his presence. So he has to make what is known in the Old Testament as the tabernacle, and later he has King Solomon create the temple. And the temple and the tabernacle basically were houses of God or the dwelling place of God. So God so desired to be with his people, to be among his people, he had them build a tabernacle or a tent, and then he had them build an actual physical building, For in the middle of it was this place that was called the most holy place. This is kind of in the heart of the temple, in the heart of the house of God, was a place called the most holy place or the holy of holies, depending on your translation. Where God kind of manifested and revealed his presence more than any other place amongst his people. And because God doesn't allow, doesn't look favorably upon sin in his presence and and sinners can't truly experience the full weight of his presence because of sin, the vast majority of his people could never go into that place. Just some select priest that had to go through many, many ceremonial cleansings to be able to go into the Holy of Holies. Moses himself, who led in in the creating of the tabernacle, couldn't even go into that place in the heart of the temple. There's this limitations on... God's people's ability to experience his nearness and be close with him and dwell with him because of sin. We see this dynamic going on where God wants his people to be with him. That's why he, he puts his presence there. But at the same time, there's these restrictions like, you can't handle my presence when you have sin in your life. But at the same time, he wants them to be there with him, he wants them to know his presence. So for us as believers, as as followers of Jesus, we have this unbelievable privilege, this unbelievable, because of the cross of Jesus, ability to experience God's presence and have his spirit live in us now because of the cross of Jesus and what he did for us. When Jesus Christ dies on the cross in our place, taking all of our sin upon himself, right? he became unclean in our place. He took the curse of sin upon himself. Gave us credit for his righteousness, forgiving us, making us clean, making us whole. And now we, as his people, get to know his presence. We get to experience the Holy Spirit in us, for us, and through us because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's reason to praise God. That God himself would say, you've turned against me you rebelled against me. Even when I came after you, you continued to run away from me. You continued to shun me. You continued to disrespect me and and say, God, I want your gifts, but I don't don't want your lordship over my life. Like, I want you to bless me. I don't want you to tell me what to do. I don't want you to lead me. I want to lead myself. I don't want you to be my king, but I want you to be my provider. He continues to pursue. He continues to come after us and call us back to himself. And in the Old Testament, actually, let me say this. There's this kind of misstep when I talk about the temple that I think needs some, needs some clarification. Many people see the church building as the modern-day temple of God. That's, that's incorrect and problematic. Let me tell you why. In the New Testament, and you can, say it, you can say it out loud if you know what it is. In the New Testament, what is the temple of God? The people of God. In the New Testament, it is the people of God. Because Jesus has so cleaned us and made us fit to abide in his presence, that he says that we are the temple now. That God's people, that his, his presence in the, in the heart of the temple lives in us now because of what Jesus Christ has done. This is how Paul says it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? That encouragement, that question by Paul is one that's rooted in Old Testament history. The, the Jews who, who, who might have been there would have, would have understood, like, what, what you're saying, that we're the temple, that God's spirit lives in us, that, that we are the dwelling place of God, the people of God? It's because of the cross that Jesus said, what we read early in John 14, 17, he said, you know him because he dwells with you and will be in you. He says that the Holy Spirit will be in us because of what Jesus Christ has done for us, making us fit for the presence of God to dwell in us. And I got one main thing that I want us to know from this, and I'll be I'll be I'll be out of your way. One main thing that I want us to know. Here's what that means for us: you are not alone. You are not alone. When you doubt, when this this spiritual skepticism that we've talked about, when you feel this doubt growing in you and you're wanting to fight against it and you want to believe in Christ more, you are not alone and God's spirit is with you helping you to believe in Christ. When you feel distant from God, When maybe you feel like my 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 prayers are hitting the ceiling, I feel like God's not listening to me. I feel like God's not not here for me. I feel so alone. I don't I don't feel God's love. I don't sense God's presence. Listen, you tell your feelings, you tell every lie that you believe that you are not alone and God Himself is with you. And he is always with you. No matter what you're going through, no matter how difficult it is, God is present. He is there through every moment of your life. If your faith and your trust is in him, you are not alone the difficulties in our life, and Satan himself will try to tempt us to believe that that we're alone, that God has forsaken us, that God doesn't, doesn't see our pain, that God isn't connected to us in the difficulties. The Holy Spirit is here to remind us, no, you are not alone. When you're convicted of your sin, when you've turned away from God, and God is bringing to you how, how sinful and broken you are and how many times you've messed up. And maybe you feel like you can't go to God at that point. Maybe you feel like you're, you're unworthy to go to God. Because of the cross of Jesus, you are not alone. You can continue to go to God. You can continue to know him and talk to him and embrace the forgiveness that he gives you. You are not alone. When there are sin struggles that you've been facing for years, for some of us, decades, decades, and you seem to continue to over and over fall into the same thing over and over again. And you're like, okay, well, I'm ready to fight against this. In that fight, that desire in you to fight against that sin, that is the Holy Spirit at work in your life. Take courage that you are not alone in this fight. You are not fighting primarily through your own strength, but through the strength that God provides through his Holy Spirit, you are not alone. And any time that you do obey, any time that you actually follow God in this word and what he calls you to do, it is the Holy Spirit strengthening you and giving you the power to do what you are not alone. But maybe you feel distant from God because you haven't been spending time in his word, because you haven't been meditating on his word. And so if, if you're like me, it's like this vicious cycle. Like when I'm, when I'm not in prayer, when I'm not reading God's word, I, I just, I just kind of feel like, well, God, I, I don't feel like I can come to you right now because I haven't been doing. And I feel this shame when I try to approach you and go to your throne. The Holy Spirit is there saying, you're not alone. I have not left you. My presence with you was never based on how good a job you did at obeying the commands. So I don't leave you based on how good a job you are doing at obeying the commands. I am with you because of how good our God is. You are not alone. When you're reading God's word and you're struggling to understand and you're just trying to find strength in the word of God, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit is with you, guiding you, revealing who God is to you through his word, strengthening you. When you're out, I don't know if some of y'all are like this, when you maybe you feel pressed to to share Christ with somebody that, you know, maybe somebody that you don't know, and you just feel pressed to do that. I know for myself, there's, there's many, many times where I just, I feel, I feel this fear. I feel this, this hesitation in me to go and, and share whatever I feel like Christ has called me to share with someone. In those moments, I'm super encouraged by the Great Commission. I feel like we mess the, the Great Commission all up sometimes. When, when God tells us, he tells us, all authority in heaven is given to him. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we get this promise at the end where he says, Lo, I will be with you always to the end of the age. You're never going to share Christ on your own. You're never doing any form of Christian ministry on your own. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. That we're never on mission by ourselves, but instead we are with Him. When Satan himself whispers to you, you're unclean, you're unlovable you're not able to truly be accepted by God. When he, when he whispers to you that, that, yes, God is supposed to love you, but maybe he doesn't like you. Like he doesn't really want you to be around. He doesn't really desire you. He doesn't really treasure you. The Holy Spirit is with you. You are not alone, and you know that you are treasured by God himself if you are in him. In your most anxious times, in the times when you feel the most anxiety and fear in your life and you don't know what to do and you don't know what's next and you're trying to figure everything out on your own and maybe you're trying to control your whole life all by yourself, you are not alone. The Holy Spirit of God is with you. You are never alone. You don't drive alone. You don't eat alone. You don't work alone. You don't play alone. You don't go to bed alone. You don't do anything alone. The Holy Spirit, the Pericles is with you at all times. And Jesus says he will be with you forever and ever. You are not alone. And that same Holy Spirit that is with us through every step, every single moment of our lives, he will hold us fast and he will not let us go. Even until we get to the end of this life and go on to be with him in paradise where there will no longer be this choice of are we with Jesus or are we with the Holy Spirit? We will be with the Holy Spirit and we will see Jesus Christ himself with our eyes and we will be eternally in his presence forever. The Christian is never alone now and throughout all of eternity. We are with our God and he is with us and in us. We are never alone. I don't, want to undervalue. I don't want to undervalue human companionship. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to say we don't need that because I believe that we do. But at the same time, like I said earlier, if you don't find comfort in the fact that the Holy Spirit, that God himself is with you every moment of your life, we miss what the Holy Spirit is all about. We miss what the Holy Spirit offers. If we don't find strength in difficult times, in the presence and the accompanying and the companionship of the Holy Spirit himself, we miss, we miss out on who he is. We miss out on what he desires and loves to do because he loves to dwell with his people. We saw it in the Old Testament. Our sin got in the way and we weren't able to experience his presence in the same way. And we see in the New Testament that he deals with the sin that is in the way so that we can dwell with him now and forever. Christian, you are not alone and you will never truly be alone in this life or in the next. We're going to... Participate and partake in communion together. And that same night, uh, that night of the Passover, when Jesus was about to be abducted by by the soldiers and taken and crucified, he he took bread and he and he took the wine. He broke the bread and he said, "This is my body broken for you." This is a way of remembering him. He said he was going to be leaving, but he told his disciples, "Do this in remembrance of me." Right? I'm not going to be with you in the flesh, but I need you to remember me, so continue to do this. Continue to break the bread and know that it's my broken body. Continue to drink from the, from the grape of the vine and know that, this, that my blood was spilled for you. Jesus knew that he wasn't going to be here with us, so he, set up, he sent his Holy Spirit. He also set up a way for us to remember his ongoing presence with us through partaking in the sacraments of communion. So that's what we're going to do today. I'm just going to pray for our time. And we'll transition and we can approach the communion table together. Lord, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love, Lord. Thank you that we don't ever have to doubt whether or not you are with us. Lord, thank you that we don't have limitations to your nearness because you actually live in us as we follow you. Lord, that you are with us, that you are in us. Would you help us to find comfort in that? Would you help us to be comforted, Lord, in the most difficult times, in the times when we may be in the same uh, state of mind as the disciples, where we're confused, when we don't know what's going on, where we're feeling anxious, when we have sorrow that is filling our hearts, Lord, in those moments, will you reveal to us, will you remind us, Holy Spirit, of your word, as Jesus promised you would, that you are with us, that we are never alone. That we actually are the temple of God and your spirit and your presence is here with us. Lord, would you keep our minds on you and your sacrifice as we partake in communion together today. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.